Hey y'all, Pastor Emil here with another episode of Sweet Jesus. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Ice cream is sweet, but Jesus is sweeter. You know I have a freezer full of ice cream that I did not even offer you anything from. We're going to have to do so that. So why am I here? That's a- <laughs> <laughs> I know what I'm doing after you, the podcast. You got here early <laughs> enough. It was like 10 something and I was like, oh, well, you know ice cream, maybe not. And then we just got to talking. So here we are. And and I am just thankful that Jesus is sweeter than ice cream because now I don't feel so bad because I have grace and mercy and forgiveness in Jesus. Yeah, you can share the <laughs> Lord and keep the ice cream for later, and, is what you're thinking. And he is going to make sure that uh, this is as sweet as possible, even without ice cream. So if that's go. possible, yes. Yeah, it is possible. <laughs> Well, brothers and sisters, I am here with Jim Chester. Uh, Jim Chester is an evangelusionist. Oh, I am the evangelusionist. He is the evangelusionist. There's only one. So there's only one Jim Chester. Yes, there is. And and uh, I met Jim at the SMA, Slidell Ministers Association. This is a, a group in Slidell here that gathers together people from all different churches, not just pastors, but all kinds of ministers, all kinds mm-hmm. of uh, followers of Jesus and and how we can work together and how we can share and encourage one another. And Jim was there, and he got introduced to the group, and man, it was amazing to watch him do some magic. We had him in on Sunday, and so I am just super psyched to have him here with us. Everybody welcome Jim Chester. Oh. And the crowd goes wild. The crowd goes That's wild. Wonderful. Yeah. I'm surprised you already used the M word because in uh, some of the other denominations, that's a no-no. Oh wow! Well. Don't you mean illusion? I'm I'm pretty good at annoying Christians. <laughs> <laughs> so I, Welcome to my world. <laughs> I, I feel for you. I feel for you. But uh, what's so sweet about Jesus? Uh, we want to know kind of your testimony and and how Jesus is at work in your life and. And then tell folks how you kind of got into this. This is, sure. like you mentioned, uh, just a very unusual thing. You don't you don't find a whole lot of Christian magicians. You find a few. You find yeah. a few. But uh, I think the word evangelusionist actually was an intentional effort to differentiate between a Christian that's a magician and an evangelist that does tricks. Mm. And uh, I have been a professional magician for 43 years, uh, you know, done comedy clubs, uh, conventions, trade shows, was on Showtime television a number of years ago. And so uh, I definitely have that. But what I didn't know is that apparently that was all preparation, that the Lord had a plan in his mind. Mm. And interestingly, when the time came and I was called to ministry, and I can elaborate on this more later but uh, when the time came and, and God essentially said, okay, now I have something for you to do for me, and it's not to change who I was and become something different. It was rather to be the best me that I could be in service to him for his glory. And uh, I think that's a tremendous lesson for each of us is that, that we're all uniquely and wonderfully created for what God has in store for us. Yeah. You know, as you were talking, it made me think of a a song by, I'm trying to remember the guy's name, Jason Gray. Mm. That's the guy, Jason Gray. He's done a lot of stuff, and he has this acoustic story time show mm-hmm. on Sirius XM's Christian station, The Message. Right. 
and he has a song called Bring It All that uh, is really powerful, and I think it gets to the, the point that you're getting at. He's saying, you know, bring it all, bring everything about who you are. Mm-hmm. His main point with that, I think, is getting at our weaknesses and our and our limitations because sometimes those are actually the things that God uses. I'm not trying to insinuate this is a weakness, <laughs> uh, but but who we are, God actually loves us, and that doesn't mean that we stay exactly the same, right? Because you're talking about how you transform this somehow into and being an evangelusionist, mm-hmm. not just a quote Christian magician, right? Uh, but yeah, bring it all, bring all of who you are. God, we're fearfully and wonderfully made. Every gift what was it First Peter four ten ten. Yes, and whatever gift you may have received, use it in service to one another. Everything you've got, bring it all. Mm-hmm. Use it for God, His glory, His purposes, and that's what you did. I did, and and I think that's very important uh, in terms of the diversity of ministry. Is that this is my gift, but Everyone has their own unique gift, and different individuals are equipped to be able to reach segments of the population that no one else may be able to reach. Mm. And so over the years, I've had churches that were approaching me saying, we have an opening for a pastor. We would like you to submit a resume. That was usually a request by someone that had seen me performing somewhere, and they knew firsthand what I could do. But then when I sent the resume in and someone in a committee (laughs) looks at a piece of paper and goes, you've got to be kidding. (laughs) It's a totally different experience. But ultimately what uh, was the driving thing there is that there are a lot of extremely qualified people who are called to pastor. Mm. But if I were to leave evangelism to become a pastor, not only am I taking a position that maybe someone else could fill better, but also who's going to do what I'm doing? Because what I do is extremely rare, and I doubt that anybody out there would be doing what I do the way that I do it. And so I'm always willing to test the water because you never know when God's calling on your life may change according to his will. Mm. But at the same time, I want to be true to the calling that I have, and even though I'm willing to test the waters, I don't want to jump ship and do something that I shouldn't be doing uh, just because it's advantageous at the time. Yeah, well, there are not a lot of pastors in our denomination. Uh, There's, I think they said in 2020 was the year when more than half of our denomination's pastors were going to be retirement Mm. age or older, and think maybe we graduate a hundred guys a year. Wow. <laughs> so and we have six thousand congregations or something like that. So you need to step it up. So <laughs> well, I'm not sure you'd be taking away a position as I guess what I'm getting at, mm-hmm. but the fact that I can't do what you do right. and there are an awful lot of people that can't do what you do. And I've seen what you do and I know how I don't know what the right word, you know, how magnetic magic and illusions and and all that can Mm -hmm. be. Uh, It seems like that would be a waste of talent that you wouldn't be able to. Well, maybe if if we tried an example of of how a trick can be very illustrative 
of the point that you're trying to make. Uh, a common theme on a Sunday morning might be talking about sin. Okay, and uh, actually this past Sunday when I was in your church, we talked mm-hmm. about that sin is nothing more than uh, the spirit of rebellion yeah. that becomes very evident in the first three words a child is, is going to speak, which is mom, dad, no. No. And that's that's just <laughs> the way we are. And that's what sin is, is nothing more than a spirit of rebellion, but that rebellion separates us from God. And so yeah. I liken it to a napkin. Life is like a napkin because when you take a napkin out of the pack, it's as clean and pretty and pristine as it can be, but it doesn't stay that way very long because you clean up a little gravy, sop up a little spill, and then you throw it away. Well, similarly, when we're born, we're just as clean and pretty as we can be the way God intended us, but it doesn't take long at all for sin to enter our life. The first time that we say no to our parents, we've said no to God. And so we get a mark of sin, almost like the mark of Cain on our life. And the more we grow, the more we sin, and the more that happens, and we end up this clean, pretty life doesn't look so good anymore. Mm -hmm. And if you'll notice, I'm using a permanent marker because the effects of sin on our life don't go away. They are permanent. Now, the Bible says when we die, if we were to approach the throne of grace like this, that we're not going to be accepted into heaven. In fact, Scripture says we're going to burn. Now, this is certainly not what God intended, and I hope I'm not going to set off any alarms here in the studio, but this is real fire just as (laughs) the effects of sin on our life are real. But the grace of God says that he can restore that life into the same pristine condition that he intended from the very beginning. And that is an amazing illustration of the grace of God. Um, let me just make sure. <laughs> I, I think we're okay. But, uh, folks, he did actually just burn a napkin and then make it magically whole right before my very eyes. Or so it would seem, yes. <laughs> and there, so there are seem. still You're... people out there that recoil at that and say, Step back. Get behind me, Satan. Get behind me, Satan. And and again, the fact is that it is a trick, and it's very explainable should I choose to explain it, which I don't, because it's the mystery of seeing something you can't explain that makes it memorable. Mm -hmm. And the power of that in terms of its use in evangelism is that it becomes an anchor. In other words, if you were to hear a song on the radio and go, I remember exactly where I was and who I was with 20 years ago when I first heard that song, because there's a psychological bond that occurs so that after that event, no matter how long you live, every time you hear that song, you're going to have that memory. Mm -hmm. There's an area of study called neuro-linguistic programming. It's a fancy designation for simply how the mind learns through language. But when you study this, you understand the power of language and how that power can be harnessed for learning and teaching. And what's happening here is that rather than relying on the random of occurrence of an anchor is I am creating one Mm. because I know when someone sees something that they've never seen before and can't explain They're going to go home and think, how did he do that? 
Yeah. And they're going to think about it over and over and over again. But what I've done is I've taken the key phrase of what I'm trying to teach, which is Jesus restores. And if you notice, as the napkin was restored, that was the first thing I said. And so the most amazing part of the trick, the restoration of the napkin becomes anchored to what I'm trying to teach, which is mm. Jesus restores. restores yeah. And if the anchor works, then every time they think about this trick, which they're going to do because they don't know how it's done, in their mind they're hearing Jesus restores, Jesus restores. And what an amazing power in terms of a sermon illustration, which is all it is. It's a glorified sermon illustration. Which is why I asked you to do the one with the rope. Yes. Although I guess you could have done that one, but... I wanted to do something different. It's, uh, <laughs> it's a good thing maybe that would have set off the, the fire maybe. alarm. I don't know. But that's fascinating I think that um, this idea, this anchoring idea is what we're doing is we're taking something that people are using, that it's, a, it's an actual thing in, in life, in the world that other people are using, mm-hmm. and why not sort of sanctify it, use it for good purposes. Very much so. What you meant for evil, God meant for yes. good. Yes, a similar story is the musicians that I've heard that were on tour playing Mm. the honky-tonks and this and that, and they get saved, and for some reason they equate the guitar or the banjo with that previous lifestyle of drinking and hanging out in these places, and they go, I'll never play that instrument again. Mm. And I'm like, why? You're incredibly gifted. Why don't you repurpose what you've been doing Take what man intended for evil and do it for good because God gifted you for a reason. Mm. And very similarly in that as they were playing the honky-tonks, maybe in their mind that was wasted time, but they were developing their craft. And in the same way, I was performing magic for 17 years doing comedy clubs and trade shows, developing my craft. And when I got to the point that I had the level of expertise to be able to do this as a ministry, then it was in God's time that he called me. Mm. And he said, take this magic you've been doing for drunks and do it for me. Of course, in my wisdom, I said, but Lord, (laughs) I'll quit doing magic and preach. Yeah. And I didn't actually hear him laugh, but I'm sure he was chuckling as he said, son, I've got preachers. <laughs> yeah, and we can't do that. So We're each uniquely gifted. So how did you get to 17 years in magic, not being a Christian, mm-hmm. to becoming a Christian where this is even a thing, where this is, topic is even... That's, that's a very large can that you've opened. But let me go ahead and start. Uh, I was born at an early age and grew up in a family that was a church-going family. I was actually uh, growing up in a Methodist home, and uh, we were at church every Sunday. I did the church youth activities, uh, was baptized at the age 12. And the sad thing was, in my particular denomination, there was more emphasis on the act of baptism rather than an understanding of what it was all about. Mm -hmm. And so I went through it, and I assumed I was going to heaven because I had water sprinkled on my head, but I didn't understand the lordship of Christ. 
And so here I am thinking, yes, I'm a Christian because I go to church. And I stayed that way until the age of 39. And if I had examined my life a little more closely, I would have noticed that there was not a lot of fruit. In other words, a good tree bears good fruit. Mm-hmm. And there just wasn't the fruit that was consistent with Christianity. I was living on my own, doing what I wanted. It was all about me. Uh, fortunately, I met a girl that was a Christian and married her at the age of 22. She was 20, way too young for either of us, but that's the way it happened. But You're still married, right? I am still married after 46 and a half years, and that's 23 of the best years of her life. (laughs) (laughs) But it was very fortunate that I married a Christian girl because, one, she prayed for me, and two, she kept asking me to go to church. And as often as I said no, I would occasionally say yes. And so I was still going to church and able to hear the word, whether it was being fully absorbed or not. But around age 39, for whatever reason, uh, and I can only say it was the Holy Spirit, uh, I began to say to myself, what's going on? In fact, it, it was one of those Sundays that I was just at church when somebody said, you know, if Christianity is in your head and not your heart, You've missed the point. Yeah. And I really did some self-examination. And then I realized that I had maybe three or four different Bibles laying around the house, but I'd never read any of them other wow. than a scripture here, a chapter there. Uh, and so one summer at the age of 39, I made up my mind. I was going to read the entire Bible. And wow. so I started on page one, verse one, in the beginning <laughs> God, which is a wonderful place to start. This in the beginning, God. And so from there I went ahead and and read the Old Testament, which honestly, even though many people are steered toward the New Testament right away, I thought it was very fortuitous that I read the Old Testament first because it sets up why the New Testament even came about. Mm. The history of how God has acted throughout his people and people that rejected him. But all of that comes into play to understand why a Savior was necessary. And so then when I got to the New Testament and I read the facts about Jesus and began to realize the wonderful person of Jesus, the the godly nature of Jesus, but then when I got into Paul and began to read things there about the spirit. And I'm like, well, wait a minute, what was this die to self so Christ can live? I don't get that. And just on and on and on. Well, by the time I got through the whole thing, I realized that something in my life was terribly missing. And so I prayed and I said, Lord, whatever is missing here, I believe you can fill so I'm tired of doing this on myself. I'd been self-employed at that time for about 18 years, 20 years. I said, I've done the best I can do, and I haven't done that well, so I'm yours. Take me, do what you will, but I surrender totally to you. Mm. And it's as if blinders were taken off, and it just all opened up. And that's what 
a lot of people from the outside looking in don't understand about Christianity, that it's not educational, it's experiential, is that the Spirit of God is a living thing that truly will inhabit the spirit of the believer. And that's what makes Christianity unique, I believe, is that it's not a philosophy, it's not a following, it's actually a relationship with a living spirit that changes you from the inside. And you begin to see things as he sees them. And it literally changes everything. Hmm. And so this was at the age of 39. Uh, At that point, I began to pray. I began to see prayers answered. Uh, Four months went by, and things were really changing. In fact, one of the things that was changing was a career opportunity that I had. I'd, as I said, been doing comedy clubs and such. And I really felt like, well, you know, my kids have gotten about the age now that if I started touring, that wouldn't be a bad thing. It may not rip my marriage apart. (laughs) And so I was really considering uh, signing up with one of the major comedy agencies uh, out of North Carolina and, and starting to tour. And something happened and this is just a testimony to how God works. I was 80 miles from home hitting softballs with a friend of mine. I played softball at an extremely high level, very competitive. And so I took it seriously, so seriously that when my wedding band was pinching my finger as I hit, I took it off and put it in my pocket. So we got done, and I drove home, and I reached in my pocket, and it wasn't there. Now, that might seem like a minor nuisance, except this was the fourth one that I had lost. (laughs) And after about three, it's not funny anymore. Yeah. And I tried to hide it, and I could keep my hands in my pockets, but I couldn't keep the look off of my face. And my wife finally said, what's wrong? I said, well, I've lost another one. Mm -hmm. And she says, well... Go get it. <laughs> Go get it. And I said, baby, it's 80 miles from here in the middle of a three-acre softball field. And she said, well, one thing for sure, you won't find it if you don't look. So the next day I drove 80 miles back to Laplace, Louisiana, parked where we parked the day before, got out and started looking. And I wow. figured it was just two of us, so I looked at home plate. I looked at the pitcher's mound, didn't see anything, and I looked at that big outfield, and I thought, yeah, this is great. <laughs> What are the odds? I am such an idiot out here kicking the grass looking for, wait a minute, four months ago, I asked Jesus into my heart, and I haven't even prayed about this. Lord, I love you, but you got to help me find this ring because that woman's (laughs) going to kill me. (laughs) And in that moment, I heard the old me saying, Lord, you got to. Oh, no, he doesn't. Who am I to make demands of the King of King and the Lord of Lords? And so I stopped and I said, I am so sorry if I may start again. Lord, four months ago I was lost and going to hell. But you sent someone with a message that made me realize what I needed. Mm. And when I asked you, you came into my heart. You opened my eyes. You've given me life. You died to pay the price for my sins. So, Lord, thank you. Thank you for everything that you've done in my life. Thank you for what you may do in the future in my life, but Lord, thank you. But if you don't mind, I'm going to keep looking. So amen. (laughs) And I looked and I looked and I looked and I didn't find a thing. So I walked back to my truck thinking I've done everything that I can do and I've failed. And just as I went to touch the handle of the door of my truck, something caught my eye and underneath my truck 
in the middle of a big black shadow was my wedding band glowing like a light bulb. Uh-huh. Amel, I understand physics. <laughs> that is impossible. There was not even light there to reflect off of a ring, but a reflection would be a tiny glimmer. This was glowing like, hey, here I am. Don't miss this. Wow. And so I stooped down to try to reach it, and I couldn't quite get to it. The only way to get the extra six inches was to get on my knees. Mm. Now, you want to talk about Moses? <laughs> holy ground. Who, holy mm. ground, who was called by light for a purpose at an advanced stage. Anyway, that was the revelation that came later. But in the moment, I put the ring back on my finger and was crying like a baby, going, oh, my goodness, Lord, you do hear prayers. You are real. You do respond. I guess my only question is, what do you want? Boom. It wasn't a voice, but it was the clearest revelation when God said, take this magic you've been doing for drunks and do it for me. And I thought it was very interesting, too, in terms of me being a magician, that he would do a miracle and say, how you like that? <laughs> you think you got something. Yeah. I can do better. But it, it's just really amazing. And I've had people say, well, how marvelous that God would do that to call you. And I'm thinking, how sad that I was so focused on other things that I didn't hear him calling in other ways that he had to go to this extreme. Yeah. And yet... He did what was necessary, and in fact, it, it completely changed my career path. Instead of going on the comedy tour, I went to seminary. I ended up getting a seminary education, uh, which helped some. <laughs> but uh, interestingly, again, while many pastors were studying evangelism, I was doing improv in comedy clubs, and in fact, I ended up writing this little book yeah, is called Easy Witnessing, which actually is a misnomer. It's not necessarily that easy on the person doing the witnessing. It takes a little bit of wherewithal, but it makes it very easy on the person to whom you're sharing. Because I've seen too many people point fingers and go, Sinner, put down that beer. You don't need alcohol. You need Jesus. And they go, yeah, right, and they walk away because they're being confronted rather than being loved. Yeah, And so the idea here coming, again, God preparing us uniquely for what we're going to do, not only did I have the experience as a magician, but I had the experience as a comedian doing improv. About the same time, I was taking these classes in neurolinguistic programming and learning the power of language and how to use that to shape conversations so that people will listen to what you're actually saying. And it all just came together. And again, how marvelous of God to equip me in so many areas. When I was in college, I was a marketing major. Mm. That's why I was able to do trade shows with magic because I combined a product message with the magic to rather than draw a crowd with the trick and say, well, hey, this guy wants to sell you something, I would integrate their message into the trick so that I was actually promoting the product or the, the tagline the, or whatever through what I was doing. And so my concept then was, well, let's do a trade show for God and let's let the gospel be the product. And rather than just do a trick and say, hey, by the way, God loves you, now let the trick actually illustrate the principle that you're trying to teach so that the two become 
part of one presentation. It makes it memorable. It utilizes the gifts that God's given me. And again, it's just, um, I think, a, a tremendous testimony to how God prepares each of us uniquely for what he has in mind for each of us. It's quite a story, even hearing it again, <laughs> right? So we had uh, lunch, what, about a month or so ago, about. and I got the bulk of that, but it's still fascinating to me. I It fascinates me. I may have upset your core Christian audience by using the M word. Oh, no. They uh, need to hear it. Oh, yeah, no. They I, need to hear it. And And likewise, I would say... You may have upset most of my core Christian audience <laughs> by your testimony, but I think, and and I mean it in this sense, Lutherans, and I'm trained as a Lutheran, mm-hmm. Christian first, but you know, I, there's a lot about Lutheranism I, I appreciate, sure. and it's why I am trained as a Lutheran. But I think our weaknesses are around the things that you're talking about, this idea of going from your head to your heart. Mm. I have personally experienced that myself. So I don't know that it meant I wasn't saved necessarily. It's just, it's a continual process for me. The Christian life has become, how do I take more of what's in my head Mm -hmm. (laughs) and put it into my heart? And I think that's, you know, Lutherans tend to be German, Scandinavian, very... I don't know what the right organized pragmatic. and pragmatic <laughs> and, you know, on point about theology and all this other kind of stuff. And it sort of becomes agreeing with the right set of propositions, mm-hmm. theological propositions mm-hmm. or philosophy, I think was the word you used. And it it leads us to very often be very complacent people that may be going to church every week and doing all sure. kinds of other stuff, but... It's not igniting a fire in us, and not just us, but the church right mm-hmm. now <laughs> in mm-hmm. America. It, it, it's whatever it is is not igniting a passion in us for sharing the gospel or living a life pleasing to God. Right. So I, and Tim Keller, I have a lot of respect for him. He's a Presbyterian. He's got a book on apologetics, basically called "The Reason of God," "Reason for God." Mm-hmm. And in his introduction, the preface or the introduction, he talks about his conversion experience, which might offend traditional Lutherans because he was actually raised in a Lutheran church, but went to college and then describes that as the time when he really felt like he became a Christian. And he said there were three things. There were intellectual questions that he actually wanted answered. They were honest, intellectual challenges that he really wanted answers to, and that was partly the reason for his book. He was taking those questions seriously. Mm -hmm. But there was also this other component, a social component, where he had to have people that he respected that were Christians, that, you know, you mentioned your wife, Mm -hmm. probably lots of other people too, that you looked and you said, there are people kind of like me that I respect, that believe in these things, that follow Jesus. But then the third piece was a spiritual component. He said, I needed to have an actual encounter Mm -hmm. with the living God. Mm -hmm. And I know that that can be a problem in some way, can become problematic if 
you know, making people feel like, well, they didn't have the right experience or they didn't, you know, there's a history of that in a variety of denominations. But there is something to that. This is not just a set of ideas that you agree to. It's an encounter with a living person. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's usually what what gets your attention. We, We talked about Facebook earlier, right? People will do anything on Facebook. <laughs> because, Literally. But when you're facing a person, there's something about being in front of an actual person mm-hmm. that transforms the way you go about communicating and interacting. Right. And I, I think one of the things that is very significant when we talk about that spiritual encounter with the living God is that I think the opportunities for that experience are more abundant than the realization that it's happened Mm. because we have to be aware of the presence of God. Uh, Just for example, I'd mentioned the miracle that got my attention uh, when my ring was there and glowing, and that was major. But there are a lot of little minor miracles that maybe are overlooked, and I remember one that spoke to my heart uh, when I was supposed to be doing a show at the Sheraton in New Orleans. And I will admit to you and to your audience, <laughs> I'm cheap. <laughs> My dad was cheap. Uh, he uh, was his own boss, and we struggled for years while he developed his business, and then I struggled for years while I developed mine. And so I've, I've learned the necessity of being frugal. And so – I was circling the Sheraton knowing that there was street parking available. (laughs) And I made a loop, and I made another loop, and about the third time around, I'm thinking, well, how much will it cost if I use valet (laughs) parking? And so I was about to make a left turn in front of the Sheraton, and I, I prayed, and I said, Lord, it's getting late. I really need a parking place. If you would like to help me, I would certainly appreciate it. Amen. And about the time the end came out, a car right in front of the hotel pulled out, and I pulled right in. Hallelujah. How easy it would have been to say, oh, look, I found one, Lord, never mind. <laughs> and isn't that what Taking we off. do so often? We pray for something, and then when he responds, we write it off to coincidence or luck or something. And I remember a friend of mine years ago that had a saying, it may not have been original, but it stuck with me. He said, coincidence is God's way of remaining anonymous. Mm. God is at work in our lives all the time. But are we spiritual enough? I guess that's it's okay to say that. Are we spiritual enough? Are we in tune with the Spirit of God enough to recognize when he's acting in our lives? Because I think he's there more often than we realize. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. I Similar story. Well, maybe not exactly the same kind of story, but got to give God credit. I was on vacation for a couple of weeks, and when you travel with four kids. <laughs> I can't even imagine. It's interesting. Especially 3,600 miles round trip. So that was a lot of driving. Yes. And I'm kind of a taskmaster in that area, so... Stop drinking water. <laughs> no, we're not stopping. <laughs> yeah. 
I can get 341 miles on a tank of gas in this beast with all the people and all the stuff in it, and and that means two stops between here and Ohio. So knock it off. Hold it. (laughs) Hold it, yeah. (laughs) And uh, before we left or, like, right as I was getting ready to leave, you know, I had this awareness of God, I think, talking to me about the world, about life being broken and Mm. and imperfect and fallen and that nothing in this life is really going to ultimately satisfy. And, and so kind of like we talked about earlier, the way you introduce comedians, you don't build them up too high. Mm -hmm. Right. So I was kind of building down or (laughs) I don't know what the opposite of building up is tearing Tearing down. down, (laughs) I mean, but that sounds so vicious, you know, so tearing down the expectations of the vacation in this sense that there are going to be times when we all want to kill each other. <laughs> <laughs> there are going to be moments when things don't go right. And instead of building up the vacation like, oh, finally going on vacation. It's going to be wonderful. It's going to be perfect. We're going to have so much time together as a family and we're going to bond and we're going to just, we're going to love this and we're going to remember it the rest of our lives. It's going to be so perfect. And then spending the rest of the vacation trying to make it perfect. Mm. I just kind of said, you know what? It's not going to be perfect. And I went through this whole thing and God is reminding me of all this. (laughs) And it was the best trip. Really? I mean, I don't. I should probably ask my wife what she thought, <laughs> but I thought it was probably one of the best. I felt best about it, and I feel like if I feel good about it, I'm the one usually terrorizing mm. my family trying to make it right. You know, attitude is such an interesting thing. And uh, during the, I guess from 2010 forward for a couple of years, we were in the middle of the real estate bubble and the bad economy and everything. I had just moved to Atlanta. Uh, because I had several large churches uh, about 2007 that had become aware of my ministry and said, boy, if you're ever in the Atlanta area, we would love to have you. And after being at many, many, many churches in the Louisiana, Mississippi area, uh, my wife and I decided to move. Well, it was the wrong time to move. (laughs) And all those churches were like, oh, you're in town. Well, hey, that's great. We'll call. And they never called, and things were getting lean. So I started doing weddings and developed a very significant wedding business. And going back to the the story of your trip, if you build a trip up in your mind, how much do you think a bride is going to build up this perfect wedding in her mind? Mm-hmm. And I'm here to tell you, it almost <laughs> never goes perfectly. And yeah. so one of the things that I would always uh, talk to the bride and groom about is I know you're planning this to be the absolute perfect event, and I'm not here to burst your bubble. I'm just here to say things happen. Mm-hmm. But I think you'll find that if you just relax and go with it because this is still the most significant day or one of the most significant days of your life enjoy it no matter what happens because my wedding was one of the biggest disasters (laughs) i've ever seen in my life i mean (laughs) my brother-in-law was in charge of punch well boy yeah he ended up mixing uh, red hawaiian punch with green sherbet and when they melted together, it looked basically like sewage. <laughs> it tasted great, but nobody would drink it. 
We well, didn't have somebody a per- drank it. <laughs> yeah, I did, but uh, <laughs> I didn't care. I was enjoying the day. Uh, all of that to say that I, I would tell the bride and the groom things do happen, but you know what? It's the little things that go wrong that you're going to remember forever, and later you'll laugh about it. Yeah. Don't let the little things ruin one of the best days of your life. Relax and enjoy it. Mm. And I think so many times. If we would simply relax, understanding that that life happens, things happen, don't let it ruin what 99% of is going to be fantastic. Don't dwell on the bad, but revel in the good. So this could be dangerous if I ask (laughs) this question because we could actually talk about it for a while. But, But I'll ask it anyway just in case. Along these lines, I was listening to a sermon today where the preacher was talking about homesickness, Mm. this idea that pretty much everything in life is going to disappoint us. (laughs) Real downer, right? Mm -hmm. But actually, it was freeing because it's coming alongside the things that that we're talking about. You know, something's going to go wrong. And he talks about a, a big theme in the Bible is this exile and homecoming. So we're at peace in Eden. It fits. Mm -hmm. We fit Eden. Eden fits us. We're not missing anything. We're not lacking anything. We're not longing for anything. We have everything we need. We have God, Mm -hmm. who is really who we need Mm -hmm. most. And then, of course, the exile, the fall into sin, thrown out of the garden, and then this perpetual feeling of just missing out on something that we can't find in all the things that we think we'll find it in. And then, of course, you could go into Israel, exile, return. Multiple times. Uh, uh, Cain, of course, is another exile right after the initial one. Mm -hmm. And then the prodigal son story. That was the sermon was on a series on the prodigal son, which is kind of helping me think through what I'm doing here. And this idea that, the the younger son is essentially out in exile. He goes out to find what he thinks you know, something's missing initially. He thinks, and and he goes out to find it, and and he finds out it's even worse out there. And then he comes home, and it's this homecoming, this celebration, and and the idea is that Jesus ultimately what we're looking forward to is this promise of no more weddings that go awry, mm-hmm. <laughs> no more vacations that fall apart. Right. Um, and of course, are, are there going to be weddings? Are there going to be vacations? I don't know about all, all that stuff, but uh, this idea that it's just going to be perfect. That that's that was something that made me think about how sweet Jesus was. Mm-hmm. And so I you, you made me think of it. You know, you just made me think of a little mind game that I played one time, pessimism versus optimism. Pessimism versus optimism. Yeah, because people would often think, well, optimism is the way to go. But if you're an optimist, aren't you constantly being disappointed? You're always looking for things to work out. And when something goes wrong, you go, oh, no, something went wrong. But the pessimist expects things to go wrong. Mm -hmm. So when something good happens, he's delighted. (laughs) You can actually enjoy it. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. But... 
again, it all comes back to, to attitude and frame of mind. And, and I think it also goes to the idea of not being all one or the other, but finding balance. Uh, years ago, I studied Taoism. And I discovered that it was an amazing philosophy. It was a terrible religion because there was no hope in it. But in terms of that centeredness, there was a lot of wisdom in the idea of being neither too high nor too low. And I think that in our walk, even as Christians, we have to find a balance because life is going to constantly surprise us positively and negatively mm-hmm. but as long as our hope is in christ we rejoice in the good times and we are comforted in the bad times because god says that none of us are spared from the bad things in life in fact jesus said why do you look for tomorrow today has enough troubles of its own <laughs> you don't yeah. even worry about tomorrow you, you still have to deal with today and he, and he says, if they hated me, they're going to hate you. Oh, absolutely. And he comes right out and says, hey, in this world, you're going to have some trouble. John Certainly. 16, 33, one of my favorite verses. Uh, but take heart, I have overcome the world. So the realism and the hope, which is actually realism in a sense, right? Like you're realistic about the reality of your future, and that kind of carries you through the misery of the present. <laughs> yeah. You know, you, you can maybe help me with this because as I think of the phrase, I'm not sure if this is a biblical scriptural quote or if it's just something that people have said, that God will never give you more than you can handle. Oh, that's a bunch of baloney. God lets you constantly deal with more than you can handle because if you could handle it, you wouldn't need, need God. Exactly. Exactly. So the the I said that one time in a church service full of fairly uh, traditional Lutherans that basically sit quiet while you preach. Mm. You know, the, I'm sure they weren't Baptists? <laughs> Just Baptist? occasional, amen. <laughs> oh, that's like, I mean, oh my goodness, could you imagine if that happened in a Lutheran oh, church? Oh my. That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah. Like, they don't even do that. Yeah. I mean, Baptists are like the life of the party. That's what we think, at <laughs> you least. You haven't been to a Baptist church. <laughs> well, apparently not. So I, I'm in this church. You know, it's out western Maryland, and it's, I think, a midweek Lenten service or Advent service. So during those seasons leading up to Christmas and leading up to Easter, we would have double church. Mm-hmm. You know, So we have church on Wednesdays, and, you know, half or, or a third of the people or a quarter of the people that show up on Sunday show up on Wednesday. So I'm sure a, that wasn't a Baptist church? <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> we're probably a lot more alike than we're different. Yeah, I would imagine so. Uh, all of us. But I, I get up, and I don't remember the title of the sermon, but I remember that was the topic. Mm-hmm. And I got up, and I, ta- I said something about, you think that's in the Bible? Well, it's not. And this little old lady, 80-something-year-old, sweet as can be, sweetest woman in the world, like, she actually started, like, debating with me (laughs) from the pulpit and the pew. Like, what are you talking about? Yes, that's in the Bible. I quote that, and I say that to myself and my friends and my family all the time. It's an essential piece of my faith and all this kind of stuff. And I said, no. 1 Corinthians 10.13 says, when you're tempted, 
God will never allow you to be tempted with more than you can bear. He'll always provide a way mm-hmm. out. Doesn't mean we take the way out. Right. But it means he provides a way out. And the book of Job is all about how God sometimes allows people to be completely crushed. Absolutely. And and the questions surrounding, well, why does that happen and, and how does all that? Uh, I think you hit the nail on the head. If we could handle it, we wouldn't we need wouldn't God. We wouldn't need God. When we can't handle it, that's precisely when we remember mm-hmm. that we need him. Uh, we could talk a lot more. You you have a couple of other things with you. Did you want to talk at all about those? <laughs> it looks Shameless like the, advertising. Please, please. Well, uh, as I said, God has gifted me in some rather unusual ways, um, one of which uh, I've been doing magic since uh, about the age of 26, but that was an acquired skill. I studied and I learned and I practiced to get to the point that I could do it well. But I started playing music at the age of four. I walked up to a piano and literally just started playing because it made sense to me. And uh, since then, I've picked up and played over a dozen different instruments, none of them extremely well, but uh, that's my fault. But uh, I have gotten to the point that uh, I have played in bands. I've played in you know worship music, but also in, in secular bands. And uh, recently produced an album, which is a, a very unusual concept album. This is Jim Chester's Senior Moment, which speaks to the fact that, yes, I am as old as I look. Uh, but the idea of this was from, from playing in an oldies band and these 60s songs. What if the artist of the 60s? were still alive today. Now, they'd be writing the same tunes, but instead of writing about cars and dancing, they'd be writing about backaches and Alzheimer's. Yeah. And so the first idea that I had was a takeoff on James Brown. Papa's got a brand-new bag. Well, today, Papa's got a brand-new hip. <laughs> Elvis, back in 64, sang, I'm in love. I'm all shook up. Uh-uh. Today, I fell down. I can't get up, uh-huh. and it just went nice. from there. But uh, just a, a whole collection of, uh, I guess I'm the, the Weird Al Yankovic of the Senior Citizen set. Nice. But uh, Weird numerous Al songs. Uh, Bill Haley's Rock Around the Clock is now Pills Around the Clock, uh, those types of things. But anyway, that was a, a little, uh, so that the, was a COVID project. <laughs> so Jim Chester's Senior Moment. Jim Chester's Senior Moment. That Are is, there labels to all the tracks, or was that the Senior Moment? Uh, <laughs> uh, there is not a libretto to speak of, uh, but uh, that means you have to listen to it several times in order to remember the lyrics. Ah, okay. But that was one of my COVID projects. Uh, quarantine will force you to do things that you never thought you would do, such as this. This is actually a cookbook that I wrote back in uh, October of last year, The Magician's Kitchen. And is that Colonel Sanders posing? You would think, yes. (laughs) That is the magician in his kitchen, yes, complete with a tuxedo and a wand stirring a pot of gumbo. But uh, over 40 years of traveling the country, I've eaten food all across uh, any number of different cultural types of food. Uh, And as much as I love to eat, I have also learned to cook very well. Uh, I've watched cooking shows. Actually, Paul Prudhomme 
of New Orleans was my mentor, so to speak, uh, because he not only shared recipes, he shared techniques, uh, why you stage vegetables, why you bloom spices, these types of things. So this book is not an easy, quick recipe kind of thing to save time. This is if you will take the time and do these steps, you will prepare some of the best dishes you have ever eaten in your life. Wow. And, and I'm very proud of this, uh, uh, it, it's just the culmination of a lot of years of eating and cooking. And, uh, I was actually posting recipes on Facebook and people said, you should write a cookbook. Nah, no, you should write a cookbook. No. Well, after I posted the 15th recipe, I realized I was writing a cookbook and I was giving it away, mm. but now you can buy it. That's right. <laughs> if you'll go to jimchester.com, which is my catch all website. I have a click here for ministry, click here for secular. Uh, of course, you want to go to the e store at the top and click on that, and that will take you to all three of my products. Uh, this, of course, the easy witnessing book. We had alluded to that before the cookbook and the CD. And you can also hire me because, as much fun as I am on a podcast, I'm even more fun in a live performance. Um, COVID has greatly restricted our ability to gather and to share, but uh, one of the great joys in my life is to be able to go out and do what God called me to do, to put smiles on faces, to entertain, and at the same time to be able to share the Word of God. Mm. It, it's a privilege. And uh, you're you're good at it. Thank you. You know what you're doing, and we had you here Sunday, and we uh, we don't know exactly when we'll have you back. Again, COVID and all that kind of stuff, but we got a ton of kids that still have to go somewhere. Sure. And we're just looking for that. And, and you know, one of the interesting things, I'm glad you said kids because so many people think of uh, a magic ministry, very much like a clown ministry, like, oh, that would be great for the Mm. kids. But what I've found in doing ministries like, uh, if you're familiar with upward sports, Mm -hmm. uh, basketball, soccer, whatever it may be, but at the end of the season, they have their celebration and the parents come and the grandparents come and friends and relatives. And when I do my show, a six-year-old will look at a trick and go, oh, wow. But a 56-year-old will look at the same trick and go, oh, wow, yeah, because yeah. there's no experience that prepares them for what they've just seen. And so it becomes the perfect family ministry, which I mm. have really really taken to heart because churches like many other institutions have broken the family up along age groups so when the family arrives it's like children go over here we have a a movie for you now youth you go over there because we have an activity for you and now the adults will have you come into the sanctuary oh senior adults we have a special speaker for you over here and everybody's split up because no one really knows how to reach the family as a whole. Mm-hmm. But because illusions really level the playing ground, nobody understands it. Everybody can enjoy it. And what I had visioned in this is the family that sees this presentation and on the ride home, a child goes, Daddy, how did he do that trick? And Dad says, Boy, I don't know. But do you remember what he said when he did it? Mm-hmm. And there's the reinforcement of sharing that experience as a family. I wholeheartedly agree that family's got to be, we got to, how do we do that? Well, first we stop separating them. Yes. <laughs> That's a conversation we could we could have. But uh, certainly I hope you didn't take me 
Uh, I was probably giving the impression that you were just kind of a kid's thing. Oh, no, but, you, you just opened yeah, up the opportunity yeah, to be able to share. I, I had you here on a Sunday mm-hmm. for parents and oh, kids yeah. intentionally because that I knew it would be for adults also. In fact, uh, the trick that you used was intentionally like, hey, use that one that I mm-hmm. saw at the SMA meeting because I can build a sermon around right. that. And then they'll actually remember this one. <laughs> I don't know how often they remember the uh, the, the rest of them, but no, it, it's. Uh, I'm hoping that we can find a way to connect with our community center and and childcare center families. Mm-hmm. You know the kids, but also the parents, perhaps in some kind of meaningful way. That's why the back to school bash was sure. going to be it, right? Because it was everybody. Right. We'll see what happens. But, and, and again, the opportunity to minister to anyone, anytime, even if it's an individual on the street, one-on-one. If God ordained it and the Holy Spirit's in it. And that's one of the things, uh, just again, we could go on and on. But yeah. in the easy witnessing technique, the understanding that Jesus said, no one comes to me unless the, the Father, Father who drawing. sent me draws them. And so often we're trying to make evangelism or sharing our testimony happen when it's not going to mm-hmm. and if we can recognize that it just ain't gonna work and walk away maybe we'll not do harm and wait on the lord yeah. to be there to set us up because when god's there you can't stop it from happening you can't <laughs> yeah, it, it will just happen that's and, and that's that's the joy of seeing god work in those moments when you don't even know that you're about to change somebody's life it just happens and you get to witness it well brother I'm blessed to know you and wholeheartedly agree with that and and i will hey encourage everybody jim chester have him come out have him do some magic not just for the kids for everybody he is not just blessing people with the evangelusionist stuff that he does, but he's blessing people that are enjoying the food that God has given us even Amen. more. Enjoying the music that God has given us. And you know what? I think God wants us to laugh too. So those senior songs <laughs> are God's kingdom at work also, in my opinion. It all we'll, works together. We'll, uh, we'll, we can talk more about that another time. But for now, thanks for coming in. Thanks for coming out Sunday. And look forward to hopefully catching up with you again soon. Well, thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. All right, everybody, don't forget, taste and see the Lord is good. Ice cream is sweet, but Jesus is sweeter. We're going to go grab some ice cream right now. I've been waiting for that. (laughs) See ya. Bye.